Did you know that four of the first five presidents were Virginians? George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe. Welcome to the Lore of the South. Hey y'all, welcome back to Lore of the South with me, Kelly Cruz. Y'all, it's been rough around here. Um, I hit y'all with a super sad, super late podcast. Um, it's been raining nonstop. Um, Michael also got the awful news that one of his best friends from high school passed away very unexpectedly. And if any of his family or friends happen to listen to this, we are so sorry for your loss. And we really hope that y'all are able to find some peace. Has anyone else felt like there's just been kind of like a dark cloud hanging over the world for the last couple of years? Sorry to be so bleak, guys. I'm going to try to lighten this up a little bit, and hopefully y'all will find this story I'm fixing to tell y'all a little bit more on the positive side. I'm trying for one of those underdogs overcoming great odds kind of stories that we all love. We'll just have to wait and see if I did it or not. Maybe this one too will just have to go along with the same sad theme that seems to be hanging around. I really hope not. And with that, welcome to episode 23 and meet Mrs. Ona Oni Judge Staines. Ona, known as Oni, was born sometime in 1773 to an enslaved mother named Betty and an indentured English tailor, Andrew Judge. Oni, her siblings, and her mother were all owned by the Park Custis estate and were known as dower slaves. These were slaves who the widow had control over, but not owned them outright. This family was property of none other than Martha Dandridge Custis Washington herself. That's right, the mother of our country, the wife of our first president, George Washington. Oni's mother was a very fine seamstress and her father a tailor, so it's thought that that's how her parents became acquainted with one another. Though once Judge had served out his indenture to the Washingtons, he moved to nearby Alexandria, Virginia, and never saw his enslaved family again. Oni herself was proving to be a fine hand with needle and thread, and at age 10 was moved out of the workhouses and into the mansion to become a playmate to Martha Washington's granddaughter, Nellie. By 15, Ona was Martha's personal body servant, or lady's maid, if you will. After Washington's election to the presidency in 1789, he, Martha, and seven household slaves moved to New York City. Though this was a temporary move, for the following year the capital was moved to Philadelphia, while the permanent capital in D.C. was being built. In both places, Oni would be seen out and about, always outfitted in the latest fashions, she was given pocket money and allowed to attend plays, the circus, and other public events. Though this would be considered an easy life for a slave, she was still a slave and longed to be free. In an interview she gave much later in life, she told the reporter that under the Washingtons, she was given neither an education nor any religious instruction. The capital's move to Philadelphia was a boon for Oni and other slaves like her. Pennsylvania had originally been settled by Quakers, who were all abolitionists. Many in the state still held these views. In 1780, Pennsylvania passed the Gradual Abolition Act. This law was to see to the gradual emancipation of all of its enslaved. 
The law immediately forbid the importation of slaves. Slaves had to be registered yearly, and if the slave owner failed to do so, his slaves would be freed. Children born to an enslaved mother would be born free, though forced to work for their master until they reached the age of 28. A slaveholder from another state could bring his household slaves to live in Pennsylvania for six months. But after that six-month mark, if they were still in residence, the slaves had to be freed. This created a loophole where slaveholders would rotate their human property out. For instance, let's say the slave owners kept an A group and a B group. The calendar marks five months, two weeks. It's time to send A group back to the plantation and have B group delivered to Philadelphia, thereby beating the six-month residency law. Then, in 1788, the state of Pennsylvania ratified an amendment which closed such loopholes making it illegal to use the rotating system. The rich men like Washington still found ways around it, meaning that the powers that be pretty much just turned a blind eye to what he was doing. Washington even went as far as to never allowing himself to remain in this state for those six consecutive months, whose Virginia residency would never be disputed. It was during the planning of one of these rotation trips this one was to be timed in between sessions of Congress that Martha Washington informed Oni that she was to be given as a gift to her granddaughter, Elizabeth Park Custis, as a wedding gift. How grand. You get a human as a gift. Elizabeth was known for her awful temper, and Oni was terrified, both of being the property of such a tyrant and of the prospect of never being freed. Here's a quote from Oni from an 1845 interview. Whilst they, the Washingtons, were packing up to go to Virginia, I was packing to go. I didn't know where, for I knew that if I went back to Virginia, I should never get my liberty. I had friends amongst the colored people of Philadelphia. I had my things carried there beforehand. I left the Washingtons' house while they were eating dinner. The evening of May 21, 1796, Miss Oni Judge walked out of the President's house and disappeared into the city of Philadelphia. She was sheltered and hidden until she could be secreted onto an outbound ship. She set sail on the Nancy that was bound for New Hampshire, where she was sure her freedom awaited. Meanwhile, back in Philadelphia, the Washingtons were missing one house slave, one that was as close to the family as a person owned could be. It was said that Mrs. Washington was slightly distraught over the matter, saying that it had had to have been a Frenchman that carried their dear Oni away. Why would Oni ever want to leave them? She was given many fine dresses and even had her own room, the room actually being that of Nellie Custis, who was away at the time of finishing school. In Martha's mind, there wasn't any way that her Oni would have left on her own. There had to have been a man to blame, a French one at that. Martha convinced George to place an ad for the return of Oni. It appeared in the Philadelphia Gazette on May 24, 1796, and it read the following. Absconded from the household of the President of the United States. Oni Judge, a light mulatto girl, much freckled, with very black eyes and bushy hair. She is of middle stature, slender and delicately formed, about 20 years of age. She has many changes of good clothes, of all sorts, 
but they are not sufficiently recollected to be described. As there was no suspicion of her going off, nor no provocation to do so, it is not easy to conjecture whither she has gone or fully what her design is. But she may attempt to escape by water. All masters of vessels are cautioned against admitting her into them. Although it is probable she will attempt to pass for a free woman, and has, it is said, wherewithal to pay her passage. I think that means she has the wherewithal to pay her passage. Ten dollars will be paid to any person who will bring her home, if taken in the city or on board a vessel in the harbor, and a reasonable additional sum if apprehended and brought from a greater distance in proportion to the distance. Okay, so in other words, you're going to get a bonus if you have to carry her back from a, you know, longer, farther away than within the city limits or in the harbor. This was a bit of a scandal for the Washingtons, and it was definitely an embarrassment for the president. A little slip of a slave girl successfully thwarted the captivity of a war hero? Way to go, Oni. By late summer, Oni's whereabouts had been discovered. She had been spotted walking on the streets of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, by a friend of Oni's former forced playmate, Nellie. Washington wrote to Oliver Walcott, the Secretary of Treasury, about having Oni captured and returned to the Washingtons by ship. Walcott engaged Joseph Whipple, the Portsmouth customs collector, for the task. Whipple refused to return judge against her will, fearing that forcing the young woman onto a ship might start a riot amongst the abolitionists in the area. He then interviewed Oni Judge to discover if she had run away by choice or had she been led away by another party. He wrote in his reply to Walcott that Oni would agree to return to the Washingtons if they agreed to free her after their deaths. Walcott then passed this information on to Washington along with Oni's reason for running. Walcott then passed this information on to Washington along with Oni's reason for running. A thirst for freedom had been her only motive for absconding. No sneaky French lover had led Oni astray, just her thirst for freedom. Upon hearing Oni's conditions for returning, old George was livid. How dare a runaway slave girl try to lay out terms and conditions to him? And he said as much in his reply to Walcott. I regret that the attempt you made to restore the girl, Oni Judge as she called herself while with us, and who without the least provocation absconded from her mistress, should have been attended to with so little success. To enter into such a compromise with her as she suggested to you is totally inadmissible for reasons that must strike at first view. For however well disposed I might be to gradual abolition or even to an entire emancipation of the description of people, if the latter was in itself practicable at this moment, it would neither be politic or just to reward unfaithfulness with a premature preference of freedom and thereby discontent before the hands and minds of all of her fellow servants who by their steady attachments are far more deserving than herself of favor. Time passes and Oni learns to read, joins a local church and becomes a Christian. 
In January of 1797, she marries a free black sailor by the name of Jack Staines in the town of Greenland. Their first child was born in 1798, a daughter they named Eliza. She would have been around a year old when Washington tried one more time to capture Oni. Washington wrote to his nephew, Burwell Bassett Jr., asking him to go to New Hampshire to retrieve Oni for him. Bassett did go to New Hampshire, where he met with Oni, while her husband just happened to be out at sea. She refused to return with him to Virginia. Bassett returned to the home of Senator Langdon's, where that night over dinner, Bassett divulged his plans to kidnap Mrs. Oni Judge Staines. Langdon got word back to Oni that she should go into hiding, what she must have done because Bassett returned to Virginia alone. Oni and her husband would add two more children to their family, Will born in 1801, and then another daughter named Nancy, after the ship that carried her mother to freedom. Jack Staines died October 19, 1803, after only seven years of marriage. With his death, Judge Staines' family became destitute. She was taken in by another family, and her children became wards of the state. The girls were made to be indentured servants, and her son, after a few years, was apprenticed out as a sailor. She never saw him again. She would outlive her daughters by about 15 years and was so poor in her last years of life that the townspeople would take turns bringing her firewood and other supplies. Oni was asked in one of her last interviews if she regretted leaving the Washingtons, especially since she had to toil in much harder conditions than she ever did while in the Washingtons' keeping. This was her reply. No, I am free, and I have trust been made a child of God by these means. Ona Judge Staines passed away on February 25, 1848, at around the age of 75 in Greenland, New Hampshire. She never saw any of her Virginia family again and technically died a fugitive slave, though in her own heart, she was free. Here come the side notes, and they are full of irony. In Washington's will, he had ordered that all of his slaves, some 124 humans, be freed after Martha's death. George passed in 1799, but in December of 1800, Martha went ahead and signed their manumissions deeds, or freedom papers if you like. This took effect on New Year's Day, 1801. That left Martha with her dower slaves, which she did not have any authority to free. 153 living souls were reverted back to the Custis estate after Martha's death in 1802 and were divided up amongst Martha's grandchildren. So that meant that Oni's family would have still been counted amongst the enslaved. And if we go back to when Oni escaped, just before she was to be given to Elizabeth Custis as a wedding gift, well, with Oni gone, Martha substituted Oni's younger sister Delphi as the said gift. So Delphi took her sister's place. But in 1807, Elizabeth and her husband freed Delphi and all of her children. I guess we can look at it like this. Delphi was given her freedom, but Ona Judge Staines took her freedom. I hope y'all found this story, what's the right word, inspiring maybe? Oni was a young woman who took her fate into her own hands, no matter the danger or the hardships she faced. They were her choices, made on her own accord and not by a master. I think Marsha Washington will definitely get her own episode one day. 
She was one strong-willed and incredibly smart woman. George, yeah, he'll get one too. Maybe as a 4th of July episode someday. But that man has been painted with such a hero brush so thickly that the real man underneath all of that is barely visible. I recommend the Mount Vernon's George Washington YouTube channel if you want to learn a bit more about him and his life and the lives of the people at Mount Vernon. One of their interpreters portrays Oni as well, and she is wonderful. And thank y'all for joining us. Sorry it's been a hot minute since our last episode, but hey, y'all are getting two episodes in one day. So please leave us a review. Five stars and some kind words would be amazing. Maybe share your favorite episode with a friend. If you want to get in touch, you can do so via social media, where I always post pics to go along with each episode. Or if you prefer, you can email me at lorethesouth at gmail.com. And with that, y'all go hug your families and friends and tell them you love them. And we'll talk to y'all later on Lore of the South.